And so today we'll continue our discussion about Seva. And we'll move from India to China. In India, they had the benefit of the concept of Shiva, the awareness of the presence of Shiva. And so the central concept really in India has been Anugraha, or grace. And the content of grace is Shaktipat, the descent of the energy of God. That is really what makes the world go around. That's what enables beautiful things to happen, beautiful forms of life to emerge, beautiful civilizations like Satyuga to emerge, the beautiful fulfillment of human existence in Jivan Mukti. It's all because of the grace of God, not because of human action, And that's why it is always emphasized so deeply, so powerfully. You are not the doer. Don't think your ego is doing anything. The only thing it can do is get in the way of the grace, block it, or be unaware of it and so not make use of it. And that's why the ego must be dissolved because all it is is an obscuration of the light. The ego is the shadow. And ultimately, even the prayer to God for God's grace is still an obscuration because it assumes that the one who is praying is an ego who is separated from God. And so grace itself is only an interim concept to enable one to transition to the realization of oneness with Shiva. Because Shiva has always maintained, I am the one without a second. There is no duality. This world of multiplicity is nothing. It's empty. It's an illusion. It's simply a dream in the mind of Shiva. And therefore, your real essential self is Shiva consciousness. This is what you must awaken to. But even the possibility of awakening is from the grace of Shiva, not from the one in the dream. The character in the dream cannot awaken. And so the awakening is grace. And it's this great paradox that has been the engine of the development of Indian thought. And the constant realization that only through the surrender of the ego can liberation be attained, and yet surrender of the ego itself is simply a product of grace. So here's the original Kacha 22. Now in China, they didn't have the benefit of this concept because there was no realization of Shiva and so their central core concept of Chinese philosophy and of Chinese life was Wu Wei, effortless action. 
I've just been reading a book by a man who did his PhD dissertation on the history of the concept of Wu Wei and how it developed in China through the centuries. It was originally a Confucian concept. Not a confusing concept, but a Confucian. <laughs> Confucius uh, used it in a certain way, and then Lao Tzu opposed him and said, no, no, you don't have any clue what Wu Wei really is, Confucius. You're confused. <laughs> and then later on, as uh, Chinese civilization degraded further, which it did, uh, there, were the, the, uh, there was Moza and the whole Moist school which said, Wu Wei is a fantasy. It doesn't even exist. Uh, stop, stop trying. Here's the paradox again. Here were people making effort to be in a state of effortlessness. And Lao Tzu was saying to Confucius, how can you make effort? That in itself is counterproductive to what you want to achieve. But Confucius maintained, no, no, no. It is a product of the constant practice. Just like someone practicing a musical instrument makes a lot of effort to then reach a point of virtuosity where it's effortless. But effortlessness only comes as the result of a huge amount of sustained and disciplined effort. is what uh, Thomas Edison once said when someone asked him about how did he get his uh, inventions, his great ideas, and he said, well, it's 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. <laughs> you have to sweat over it a lot before you get to that point of effortlessness. And that's why we admire greatness, because the great performers of whatever field make it look effortless. But those who are beginners in that field, or even in intermediary stages of learning, realize, oh no, this is almost an impossible level of effort that's required. But again, isn't that impossible level of effort the result of grace? It's beyond the human capacity when we truly reach those moments of magical performance, whether it's in music or dance or... Uh, thought of any kind and something absolutely brilliant emerges. We know it didn't come from the human domain. It came from that beyond of inspiration. And all the great minds who have been humble enough to admit it have said, no, I didn't come up with this idea. It came down to me. And uh, I was given it. I took dictation and I'm sharing with you what I received, but I'm not the source of it. Every great mind has said that throughout history. And so this is, again, the paradox for us. We want to be in the state of effortlessness. But to do that, we have to make this great effort. And something within us opposes the need to make effort. In part, it's the tamasic level of the ego that doesn't want to make any effort to grow. It just wants to be in chakra one and be breastfed. But then there is that beautiful chakra four realization of the effortlessness that is the spontaneous flow of life energy, of divine love, of beauty. And that is 
inherently accurate when you're in that flow. But to get to that flow and to reside in that flow, you have to have done the effort of dissolving the ego of the lower chakras that wants to pull you down, that wants to live in its desires, its fears, its jouissance, wants everything to be easy, doesn't want to grow, doesn't want to make effort. And so this is the battle that the soul is in. And then another corollary argument that the Confucians and the, the uh, Lao Tzu sages were having was, is human nature originally good or bad? And this changed uh, through time as well uh, as to how they perceived it. But they didn't have the concept of the ego and the Atman. So for Lao Tzu, our original nature, what he's referring to is what would later be called our Buddha nature, our original nature, the Tao, is of course that absolute purity and perfection and beauty and effortlessness. But once we have gained sanskaras through lifetime after lifetime of reincarnation and have lost that original access to the Tao, to the Buddha nature, then our human nature, even when we are born, is already defiled with sanskaras from past lives as well as the sanskaras of the parents, particularly the mother that we gain even in the womb. So we are already covered over by many layers of ego before we're born and therefore that human nature has to be refined and purified through a tremendous amount of work. Lao Tzu disagreed and said, no, no, all you do if you, if you try to learn and to, uh, to refine yourself is add more layers of sophistication. He said, look, I see all the scholars who have read all these books on, on virtue and they're all in master's discourse. You know, they're all these sophisticated talking heads and they are not living in the virtue. Whereas you go to the campesinos and they're actually living in a much more virtuous state of real simplicity. And so he said, stop reading books. Of course, you'd have to read his book to realize that <laughs> you shouldn't be reading books, which is always, again, the paradox. But he was saying, no, go back to nature, go back to simplicity. And yet Confucius and the Confucian line of thought was it's too late for that. We are already living in this defiled civilization. We have to accept the situation we're born in. Our original nature is not accessible, except through an act of grace that did happen to Ramana when he was 16. And no doubt he earned that grace through making effort in his previous lives. It didn't just happen out of the blue. But that can happen in any given life. And when it does, that's a, a beautiful act of God that enables other beings to perceive directly the power of the Divine Presence. And it's miraculous. But if you want to earn that miracle, then you have to do the hard work of refining and removing 
through adding. It's not adding versus removing. It is using the addition of concepts of higher knowledge to remove the lower samskaras and the impurities. Both are required. Because unless you have analyzed and uh, refuted the arguments of the censor and the superego with higher knowledge, you won't win the internal argument that's going on and you'll be defeated by your unconscious mind. So you're in a battle already with a part of you that has an agenda of keeping you in ignorance and in jouissance and in effort and in negativity. So once you accept that and recognize that the battle has already begun, you're, you're not at peace and it's all you have to do is re return to that state of peace. Peace has long been lost. To find peace again, we must defeat the inner demons now. We must slay them. And if you just want to be at peace without doing that, then you have submitted to the demons. You have given up. And this is why simple belief in God, whether it's in Jesus or Allah or whatever name of God, whatever system of thought, Belief is not enough. One has to reach that point of the original consciousness prior to thought, prior to sanskaras, prior to the ego's emergence with all of its defiling fantasies and censorship of your true consciousness. In that state, which you can reach in meditation when there is silence, which takes a lot of effort, a lot of will, a lot of absolute uh, one-pointed penetration into the source of consciousness. When that is done and there is victory over the ego's obscuring uh, energies, then one will have earned the grace of being able to abide as the self. But this is the great battle. And sometimes the ego will misuse this idea of effortless action in order to get you to not do the effort of becoming effortless. And wanting to pretend that you're already there instead of getting there. And so we mustn't be fooled by that. But it's also true that we can sometimes make effort to get there that will take us way past where we want to be. And in principle, we are already there. So we have to hold both sides of this paradox. But we are only there when we are not there. <laughs> So if you will eliminate the I-thought by simply not allowing it to arise, not entertaining the idea that there is anyone that has to make the effort to achieve effortlessness, that is the ultimate effort. And that is grace. So, I'm going to open the floor because I'd like to hear your thoughts about effort and effortlessness.
and grace. I could read you a lot of quotes from Lao Tzu and Confucius and Zun Tzu and other writers, but I think I'll spare you that effort of having to listen. I think that we've expressed the essence of this idea and its different permutations, but I'd like to know where you are in this process and what resonates with you and what obstacles you're having. And let's see if we can be of service to one another in getting to that point of really abiding in Wu Wei, in the non-action that results from non-egoic presence. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the Members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste.